0: You may remember a few weeks ago, uh, Min was introduced to share her testimony, and she didn't come, and people were like, oh my gosh, what happened? Is she nervous? Is she scared? And some people saw her sitting in the back. Um, She had forgotten her phone, and so she didn't have her testimony, and so um, that was her problem because she's reading her Bible now, she left her phone at home, Um, but uh, today... She was ready. Uh, I hope you're ready too. You ready for worship? Amen? All right. Uh, today I want to begin asking you a question. Uh, what brings you joy today? This morning, what is it that brings you joy as you think about your life? Maybe uh, for some of you this morning, you woke up and you realized, it's not Monday. I don't have to go to school. Or I don't have to go to work. And that brought you joy. You're like, yes, this is exciting. And and uh, You came to church with that sense of excitement that, yeah, this is so much better than the other things that I have to do. Maybe you, um, I don't know what brings you joy. Maybe it's um, getting a good grade on your exam. Maybe some of you um, got news, good news recently that uh, you got a new job or that you got a new car or something like that, and that brings you a whole lot of excitement. Maybe for for others of you, that joy, you can spiritualize that and say, you know what, where I find great joy, you know what? This is what it was. When we were worshiping God this morning, yeah, that brought me so much joy. Like, that filled my heart uh, with a joy that I haven't felt since maybe last time I did this. Maybe some of you will say, oh, it was when I was praying or when I read the Bible, this is where I get joy. When I was sharing the gospel with someone or when I see a house church member uh, come to know Jesus and get baptized, that's what brings me so much joy, and I love that. I don't know what it is that brings you joy, but uh, one thing is clear, the things that bring us the deepest joy in life are typically the things that matter the most to us, (laughs) right? So if uh, my greatest joy was when I got married, then obviously your marriage is important to you, and it should be. Maybe your greatest joy was, oh, when I had my first kid or my second kid or my third kid or my fifth kid, whatever it is, that matters to you. That's why it brings you joy. But another thing about most of the joys in this world is that the things that bring us joy today could very easily not bring you joy tomorrow. <laughs> in fact, it could do the opposite. That job that you're so excited about, <laughs> you could say tomorrow, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. That could be how you feel about that job you got or the fact that you woke up on, uh, on Saturday morning and you didn't have to go to school or you didn't have to go to work. We're so excited Until your mom wakes you up all early or your wife wakes you up early and says, hey, come down and take out the trash or cut the grass or something like that. That joy that we experience in life can oftentimes be short-lived because here's the deal. Most of the things that we look to for joy in this life are not big enough to sustain joy that lasts through the length. Most of the things that we put our hope for joy in are short-lasting short-lasting in terms of the experience of joy or seeming joy that we receive. Today, I want to talk about joy and where a Christian ought to find their hope for joy. And we're going to see it at the back end of what we've been talking about. We've been in this series as we talk about how the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. We're we're defining our mission as a church, defining our mission as believers, that we can't just sit here and do whatever it is that we want to do because there's a mission to which we've been called. There's people, a harvest that is plentiful, but the workers are few. And last week we saw if you see that, then the next thing Jesus says to do is not get up and go. He says, get down and pray. Lord, would you send out the workers into the harvest field? And when you pray that prayer, most of the time, the first way that God answers that prayer is by ejecting you out of your comfort seat so that you go into the mission field. Or you go out to share the gospel with people. And this is what we've been talking about for three weeks. On the back end of that, what we will look at today as we close the series, we're going to jump back to Luke chapter 10. But what we're going to look at here is after Jesus sends forth his disciples to go on this short-term mission... They respond to God uh, in obedience, and they come back, and here they're coming back to Jesus and reporting, and then Jesus debriefs them. Luke chapter 10, we're going to read verses 16 through uh, 20, and we see three parts to this. Verse 16 is the end of the training before he sends them out, uh, then presumably they go out. Verse 17 is when they come back, and then starting in verse 18 is where we see the debrief to their short-term missions experience. This is God's word, Luke chapter 10, verses 16 to 20. Jesus says, he who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And then they go out, verse 17 says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is God's word. So what is Jesus saying? This is kind of what's happening. We, when I, the way I think about this like, we would go on, on mission trips to the Dominican Republic, and when we would go uh, during our time in the, in the DR, we'd, we'd meet at the church, that would be our base, and then we would say, Hey, we're going to send out uh, groups of three and four. You guys are going to get an interpreter with you, and you're going to go knocking on people's doors, and you're going to share the gospel with them. You're going to go to a park, you're going to explain the gospel, you're going to do skits, and then you're going to come back. So we send them out for an hour, and then two by two or group by group, they start coming back. And so we'll ask them, Hey, how was it? How was your time? And they'll say things like, oh my gosh, it was so awesome. We were able to share the gospel with like five different people. We were able to invite all of these people to church. We were able to pray for this family. We were able to pray for this group of people. This girl was sick and, and she got better and, and they're all going to come back to church tonight to worship with us and and that's how it would go. And on and on and go. We'd ask these different groups of people how to go, and they would report back to us. That's kind of what's happening here. Jesus sends out these 72 in groups of two. So 36 groups of two go out, and then they start coming back. And Jesus like, yo, how'd it go? Right? How did it go? Tell me how it went. And uh, one group, Jiren and, and, and Vinny, come back, and they're like, oh, my gosh, Jesus, it was amazing holy cow, we shared the gospel of the kingdom, and people said, where is this Jesus? We want to know him. Another group comes back. It's, it's Haley and Chris, and they say, oh my gosh, it was amazing. Like, these people came up on crutches, and they said, are you with Jesus? Can you pray for us? And we prayed for them, and, and, and they started crying, and then they left, and they left their crutches behind. It was crazy. Like this one dude came with like this shriveled up arm and he had leprosy, and we prayed for him. And, and after he, we, we, we said amen and we opened our eyes, his arm was normal again and his spots were gone. It was amazing, Jesus. We saw the kingdom come. There was this dude who was demon possessed and his head was spinning around and he was climbing up all, all over the gym, and, and all this wildness was happening. And we prayed in the name of Jesus, be delivered, and then he came down. It was insanity, Jesus. It was the craziest thing. Send us out again. We want to go again. We want to go again. This is awesome. Can you imagine the spiritual high that these disciples are on? Like, have you ever seen things like this? Like, you pray for people, and and their short leg grows out, and like, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Or you pray for somebody, and they're, like, green because they're sick, and you pray for them, and they, they start turning normal color. This is craziness. And they're so excited. They're like, oh, my gosh, Jesus, we came back full of joy, and Jesus says, that's awesome. I've been watching that too. I see, I, I'm watching Satan fall like lightning. And then he pulls the plug on them. And he says this weird part where he says, but don't rejoice in that. Like what? You can hear like the, the record player screeching here. Like what are you talking about? What is he talking about? I want to bring out two thoughts about mission and about joy and about joy and how we find it as a people of God, especially as it relates to these words, the harvest plentiful, but the workers are few. What do we see here? Here's the first thing. The first thing we see is that the joy that comes from what we do for God is a fleeting happiness. The joy that comes from what we do for God and there is a joy that comes with it, He says, it's a fleeting happiness. This is weird. Jesus tells them that this is, there's going to be rejoicing. But in the one place, see, Jesus tells them, do not rejoice. You're like, it, it, if you were to fill in the blank, okay, hey, uh, here's a pop quiz. One time Jesus says, do not rejoice in something. What does he say? Not to rejoice in. You probably think, well, he said, don't rejoice in uh, your earthly status. Don't rejoice in how many friends you got. Don't rejoice in how much money you have. Don't rejoice in what it says on your business card. If anyone uses business cards. But don't rejoice in what what letters come after your name. You think that's what he says you ought not to rejoice in. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Here, check it. Verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. Jesus, we just went out in your name and did all of this stuff. We were on this short-term mission trip and we came back with all this fruit. And you're saying, don't rejoice in that? That's weird. We have a a sister in our congregation. She's uh, she speaks Chinese, and so one time she was telling us the difference between happiness and joy as it relates to Chinese characters. And what she said about happiness: the definition of happiness is that it is a quick joy. It's a fast joy. It's here quickly and then it's gone. That's happiness. Joy, on the other hand, comes from the inside. It is an inexhaustible spring that comes from within. That's why happiness is short-lived, but joy is long-lasting. Here's what happiness is. Happiness, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Why are you so happy? I'll tell you why. Because there was this girl that I liked. Oh, my gosh. I liked her for months and months and months and months and months, but she did not know that I existed on this earth. But I liked her for a long time. And so one day while we were in the cafeteria, I was staring at her because she was so beautiful. And then she looked up at me. <sighs> she looked at me. Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. right? So there's one wife who's tapping her husband. This is our story, right? She looked at me. And then she smiled. And then she turned away, and then I turned away because I didn't want to be caught staring at her. And then just to make sure that she, maybe she's still looking at me. So I looked at her, and she was looking at me, and then she turned away. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy because she knows that I exist. And then the next thing, she started walking to me. Oh, my goodness, she started walking to me. She was walking to me with a big old smile on her face and she sat down in front of me and she started talking to me. She said, is your name, I don't know, Chanu, is your name, Chanu, uh, is your name, Jeff? I don't know whatever your name is, okay? So is that your name? And I said, oh my gosh, she knows my name. She doesn't just, she doesn't know I exist, she knows who I am. And then she says, you know what, I've never told you this before, but for the longest time, I've had the biggest crush on you. Oh, my gosh. And your heart begins to melt. And oh, you've got these hearts emojis that you see on Instagram start floating around in your head. And you're like, oh, my gosh. This could be it. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And then in this, this just rising up of courage, you say, you know what? I like you, too. She's like, "Oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then... This crescendo of hope rises up, and you take a chance of a lifetime, and you say, I wanted to ask you if you would go to this dance with me. Right, she, he's so happy. This guy, Chan, Chan, whatever your name is, so happy, so happy. And then she says, ah, oh, yesterday I told this other boy that I would go with him, and he is now my boyfriend. Ah. Oh, that, my friends, what he was experiencing five seconds ago, is called happiness. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone. It's a quick joy. Here for a second, and then it's gone. Oh. It's happiness that you feel when you get that new car, you're so excited. When you turn 16, your parents bought you that brand new car, whatever make, model year it is, but you love it, you're so excited. You've taken pictures and you're ready to tell the whole world about it on Instagram. And while you're thinking about what you're going to say, the clever caption to your Instagram post, you run into a stop sign coming out of the dealer lot. <sighs> That, my friends, is a happiness that's short-lived. There's a difference between happiness and joy. The disciples returned saying, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says here in verse 20, hey, don't rejoice in that. What you think is really joy is actually happiness. Why? Why? Why does Jesus say, don't find your joy in that? He says here, I saw Satan fall like lightning. It's a continual present, meaning I saw it happen. I saw it happen again. I'm seeing it happen. I'm constantly seeing Satan fall like lightning. When y'all were out sharing the gospel with these people, I saw it happen again. This is great. He's not saying, don't get excited about it. Don't be excited about these things that you do for me. He's saying, but make sure it's in its proper place. Because all these great things that you do for God may be awesome, but they're not big enough to sustain your joy. <laughs> because here's what ends up happening all the time. Well, look at what Jesus says in verse 16. He says, he who listens to you listens to me. Sometimes they will listen to you. And then he says in that same breath, he who rejects me You rejects me. He'll say someday, hey, today they listen to you, but tomorrow they're going to reject you. Where will your joy be then if your joy is found in the fact that the demons are submitting to you now? Because, you see, what we do for God and the joy that comes with that is a fleeting happiness. Hey, today, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Why are you doing great? Oh, you know what? My quiet time today was so awesome. My devotional time was so good. And I, I, I was reading the Word, and it's just like God was pulling out words and just planting them in my heart. And, and there's a fire in my belly. <laughs> Don't want to tell somebody about it. I'm doing great today. Hey, what happens tomorrow when you read the Word? And it's not God dropping these truth bombs into your spirit. What's going to happen then? Because you see, a lot of times this is how we live, and we ride on this like yo-yo of emotions. Some days you're going to see Satan fall like lightning. Some days the demon's going to submit in the name of Jesus, and other days they're not. And if we find our hope for joy, and what we're doing for God, it's going to be a very fleeting happiness. And we're going to be chasing that and pursuing that and longing for that. Can I tell, I've told you this before, but the first retreat that I was ever invited to speak at, I took that opportunity because I had preached three sermons in my life. I was 22 years old. I had preached three sermons. And all of them, at least my friends told me, were awesome. <laughs> they were amazing. Like, people's lives were being changed. Ain't nobody was. But I was thinking and imagining in my head it was, it was like, you know, my thought, oh, it is so good. Nobody walked out on me. I I didn't forget what I was going to say. I didn't lose my papers. Everything was good. And I was really excited. So my friend asked me, hey, can you preach at my winter retreat? I was like, heck yeah. Yeah, man, I'm excited. So it was actually, I didn't even preach the whole thing. Six messages. I did three, and my roommate did three. We did three each. It's awesome. 22 years old, green, thought, yeah, I'm going to conquer the world because the first three sermons I did, maybe Satan ain't fall like lightning, but... Yeah, there was a little flicker of something that happened there. And, and maybe demons didn't flee in the name of Jesus when I was preaching, but maybe they, they took one step backwards. That was good enough, and I was excited about that. So, yeah, I'm going to preach at this retreat. Shoot. So I came to this retreat. I got there all excited. Winter retreat. It was ice cold in there. And the pastor says, hey, thanks for coming, David, Larry. I just want to let you know that we were so busy doing all this stuff, and there's so many things going on between Christmas and New Year's that we didn't get to pray for this retreat. At all. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Man, that was the worst retreat I've ever been to in my life. Like demons were not fleeing. Demons were coming, right? They're like, shoot, hey, this is the place we got to hang out, right? This guy don't know what he's doing. We can attack him. Man, it was a killer. It was like negative degrees outside, but it was negative degrees inside too because the heater was broken in that place. Went to retreat, freezing, ice cold, terrible. And after that, I was like, shoot, God, I don't think I ever want to preach another sermon again in my life. Why? Because I was finding my source of joy. In experiences past, I said, I'm doing all these things for Jesus. All these things for Jesus that I do, yeah, this is where I'm going to find my joy. And when what I did for God did not lead to joy, I felt completely lost. Because the happiness that came from seeing God move as I obeyed him was a fleeting happiness. Happiness. And whenever we put our hope for joy, guys, in what we can do for God, I'm a house church shepherd. I'm not a house church shepherd yet, but I pretty much I see what my shepherd does. I pretty much do the same thing as a house church shepherd. I'm doing all of these things, meeting up with people, talking to them. I teach VBS during the summer. You know what? I'm on the praise team. I'm on the junior student leadership team in our church. I'm on the praise team at our church. I take care of children on Sunday morning. Look at what I'm doing. for. If we find our hope for joy in what we're doing for God, just be warned. Uh, you can do that, but you've got to understand that's a fleeting happiness. There's another danger in that, though, because Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Don't put your hope in that. Why not? Because a lot of times when we put our hope for joy in what we're doing for God, well, it's the same thing that happened to Satan. Revelation 12 says Satan, before he was Satan, he was was Lucifer, who was an angel in heaven. And most people say that he was probably the praise leader amongst the angels in heaven. That's crazy. He would lead worship. I don't know if he used a guitar, a harp, a or recorder, or whatever he used, but he was, he was the shining star, the morning star of heaven, leading the other angels in the worship of God. But at some point as he did that, he began to think, it's not so much about God and it's about me. And in sinful rebellion, he was banished from heaven with a third of the angels who are now his demon minions, the spirits of hell. And Jesus is saying, you guys who are doing all of these things for me, going out because the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, you asked me to send you out, I sent you out, you rejoice in the great work that you see. He says, be careful. Because I saw Satan fall like lightning. And the same can happen to you and to me. When your ministry is going well, when you're doing good things for God, when it seems as if you're on the up and up and doing all of these things for the Lord, he said, that's when you're most susceptible to a fall. He says, be careful. Don't find your joy, your identity, your hope in all of these things that you're doing for God. Because pride always comes before a fall. He sees that. Guys, just because you're doing good work for God doesn't mean that your heart is in the right place. Judas, when he was sent out with the 12, saw as many miracles through his ministry as Peter and James and John and the others did. Just because we're doing good things for God, we're busy for God, we're active for God, we're seeing fruit for God, does not mean that our heart's in the right place. Charles Spurgeon said, God can cause crops to grow through seed that has been spread by a leprous hand. Don't find our hope for joy in that. I know this temptation in my life. When people start saying, D.L., hey, good job. D.L., thanks for doing these things. I know the temptation in my heart to think, wow, the demons submit to us in your name. Becomes, ha, ah, the demons submit to us. In his name, definitely, but they're submitting to us. It's a heinous temptation that creeps into the heart of every person who wants to do good things for God. After I do ministry, after, after every sermon I preach, before I sit down, I say, Lord, keep me humble, keep me small in my eyes. Thank you that whether I feel like this went well or this went poorly, thank you that you have used the words that I've spoken to accomplish your purpose. Whenever I get with my friends, we do ministry with each other. One of the things that we often pray as we go back to the airport, either I'm driving them, they drive me, we pray over who has just, who's preached or who's done whatever. Lord, uh, protect their heart from the temptations that they think they deserve because they've been fruitful in your service. When God uses us, it's easy for us to begin to think, because God's using me. Must be the shoes, right? Not the baller. Must be the shoes. Must be the instrument, not the one who works through it. And then we begin to think that we're entitled to privileges that don't belong to us. Right? We have to be careful when God is using us, when we're doing things for God, when we're going out in response to the call to send forth workers into the harvest field because the joy that comes from what we do for God is a short-lived, fleeting happiness. First thing we see. Second thing that we see then is true joy is by, it comes from what God has done for us, not in what we do for him. Okay. What he says, verse 20. However, do not submit, that, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. Here's what you ought to rejoice in, but rejoice that your names are written Heaven. said, this, my friends, is the surest foundation for joy. Not in what you can do for God, because that'll never get your name written in heaven, but in what he's done for you, because it's the only way our name gets written in heaven. You know, in ancient cities, they would have roles that said, if you're a citizen of this city, then your name is on this list. And if you're on that list and you are entitled to the benefits and privileges that belong to citizens of that town. saying, heaven is no different. We, we, have a, we have a couple in our church who's, <laughs> who's dating, and uh, the man in the relationship is a PK. That means he's a pastor's kid. Right? So when they started dating, <laughs> the pastor's kid, the pastor and his family wanted to make sure that the girlfriend was legit, right, was a believer, and so they invited her to the house and started doing this interrogation over her. Right. They asked her a bunch of questions. Before they ate dinner, they sang this Korean hymn that they sing together as a family. <laughs> and they would sing it, and everyone was singing it but her because she didn't know the Korean hymn. Okay. That was a, one of the first tests. Um, they have a cacao group as a family, and they shared quiet time, material, material. In that cacao group. So they're like, all right, you got to join this cacao group, right? And so with this pastor's family, she's supposed to join that group. And then one of the questions is there, I think it was uh, they're eating dinner before dinner, um, you could, uh, the details slipped my mind, but sometime during that interrogation to see are you good enough to date my son, um, the question was asked, are you a Christian? <laughs> she said, yes. <laughs> if you die today, are you going to be in heaven? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. So she passed that test. She's very, you know, she's, she, she said she's sweating like crazy, sweating, sweating, sweating. But at least she passed a the test. Then he said, okay, you're in heaven now. <laughs> I'm the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I am Apostle Paul. St. Paul asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say to me? What are you going to say to me? And so he's asking this question. I'm not sure that when we get to heaven, Paul is going to ask us that question. But if he were, or if someone were, if God were to ask you that question, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say? What do you say? Because I went to church? What are you going to say? Because I did missions? Because I gave a tenth of my earnings? Actually, I gave more than a tenth. I gave like 13%, God. Is that why he's going to let you into heaven? Because check this, understand what it says. The book of Revelation talks a lot about heaven. He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It, it, it talks about there's a, there's a role book. Listen to what it says in Revelation 21, verse 27. You don't have to turn there, but it says, Nothing impure will ever enter heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's what he's saying. If you want your name to be written in heaven, then here's the deal. You can't be impure. You can't be, do, do anything that's shameful or deceitful. So who of us makes it into heaven based on that rubric? You ever done anything shameful? Things that, oh, man, I, I don't want anyone to know about this one. You ever do anything like that? I've done things like that. I've done a lot of things like that. Shameful things. Things that I don't want anybody to know about. You ever done anything deceitful? Like, you, I, I forget what button it was, but like F9 or something like that when you're on a screen that you shouldn't be on at work and, and you push this one button and it shifts to the other screen. You ever do anything like that? Oh, yeah, boss, I'm working. Hey, boss, yeah, good day to you as well. Yep, not nah, just working on these reports when you're really watching ESPN or, <laughs> or whatever it is that you watch. Your con Marie videos, I don't know. You're watching these things, I don't know. You ever do anything deceitful? You tell somebody, hey, you're doing this, but you're really doing something else? Or or you ever do anything impure? Any impure thoughts go through your mind? Any impure words come out of your mouth? Any impure deeds? You ever steal anything that you shouldn't have stolen? You ever see things that you shouldn't have seen? You ever go places you shouldn't have gone? This is what, this is what uh, the Word of God says, nothing impure will ever enter into heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Uh, I think that eliminates pretty much everyone who's ever come into this life. But then he gives an out. And he says, the only ones who'll be there are those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Only those whose names are on the registry of heaven. And so the question is, how do we get on that list then? you got to know somebody, right? That's how you get on guest lists at parties. That's how you get an Evite. you got to know somebody. you got to know somebody on the inside. Who is that? Well, thankfully, the book of life, it, it tells us something here. It belongs to the lamb. Who's the lamb? Revelation 13, uh, verse 8 gives us this, again, this little piece of insight that you don't need to turn to. But it says the book of life belongs to the lamb that was slain. And there will be people whose names are written in that book of life. And every person who reads the book of Revelation, at least the original audience, understood that whenever you hear about a lamb, you're understanding what he's talking about. It means that whenever the worshipers would come, impure worshipers, deceitful worshipers, shameful worshipers would come into the presence of the perfect and holy God. They'd have to bring a lamb, a perfect lamb, a pure lamb, a spotless lamb. Why? Because it would picture forth a spiritual reality that an innocent lamb has to shed his blood in order that guilty people could be be brought into the presence of God. Saying that's the one who owns the book of life, and if you know that lamb, then no matter how impure, deceitful, shameful your acts have been, there is a way possible for you to get into the book of life. That's what he's talking about. All of a sudden, you realize that he's talking about Jesus. And my joy, my rejoicing is not about what I can do for him because all that I do for him will always end up impure, deceitful, shameful. But my joy comes in what he has done for me at the cross, taking my shame, taking my deceit, taking my impurities upon himself so that he who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might become in him the righteousness of God. Jesus says, here's your joy, friends. Here's your joy, people of God, not in what you can do for him, but in what I have done for you. I want you to imagine this scenario here. Okay, I, I read this some time ago, a sermon that was preached. But imagine this. You find out later this week, okay, after sometime this week, you find out that I, your pastor, DL, your friend, your husband, has been arrested. And I got arrested. On what count? You read it on OrlandoSentinel.com. While I was in Kentucky, I got popped because there are arrest warrants in multiple different states out for my arrest because I have robbed hundreds of banks throughout the country. Not only that, When they pull up my file, they realize that uh, I've committed grand theft auto on multiple occasions. And I've got all of these nice cars that I stole from people. And as you hear that, you also realize that I was on America's Most Wanted because I'm a notorious serial killer. Wow. This is probably a lot closer to reality than it is to fiction, mind you. Jesus says, if you've had anger in your heart towards someone, you've already killed them. At least as far as I'm concerned. That's what Jesus says. So here I am. You hear the news. You're shocked. start, Start texting your friends. Oh, my gosh. You hear about DL. Oh, my gosh. Hope Olivia's doing okay. Oh, my gosh. This is terrible. Oh, yeah, what's going to happen to him? He's going to get killed. He's going to get the death penalty. Easy, easy. And so as you're hearing this news, there's one person who's hearing these words who really feels bad about it because you really, really, really love me. You know who that person is? That's right. It's you. (laughs) It's you. You love me so much. You're like, you know what? I love that guy, D.L., I want to see if I can't do anything about it. So you march down to the sentencing station, and you come to the judge, and you're like, hey, this is my friend D.L. I love him. I really love him. Um, Has he been found guilty? Yeah, he's guilty for sure. He's going to die. When's he going to die? Tomorrow at noon, about 24 hours and 22 minutes from now, he's going to die in an electric chair. But is there anything that can be done about it? How about because I love him so much if I die for him? No, 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 no. Who are you that you should die for him? You're... No way. He's way too bad. You cannot do that. okay. Thank you though. That's very kind of you. But there's got to be something I can do. I really love this guy. Well, how about this? Do you have any kids? Yeah, I've got one kid. How old? Uh, he's four. What's his name? Um, Christoph? Christoph, okay. Um, how many other who, who you have any other kids? No, just the one. Okay, here's what I'll, I'll tell you what. You really love this guy, DL done all these terrible things, crimes, massive crimes, terrible crimes. Here's what you could do. Tomorrow, bring Christoph down to the station, and um, he can die. Right? He can die instead of this guy, D.L. Like, what? <laughs> that's, that don't make no sense to me. Yeah, that's, uh, that's about the only thing I can do for you. Either you have your son die or your friend dies. So you go back home, and you're thinking about how much you love your four-year-old son. He is the apple of your eye. Before he ever came into this world, you loved him. And then you think about me. I don't know how much you love me, but you decide in your heart that maybe it's worth it. And you have this agonizing night of thinking and praying and you walk into your boy's room and you watch him sleep as you see his chest go up and down and you see nothing is as beautiful as my son. But for whatever reason, you make a decision in your heart and you say, but I'm going to offer him in order that D.L. might live. And so... 11 o'clock in the morning, you lift your son out of bed. And he says, where are you going? Where are we going? He says, we're going down to the police station. We're going down to the court. We're going down to the prison, wherever it is that criminals get killed. Take him down there. You walk into the room, and it's this cold, dank room, and here's the electric chair, and here am I sitting on this chair. It's 1140 now, 20 minutes before the execution is supposed to happen. And the judge says, I'm surprised to see you here. He says, yeah, I've made a decision. I'm going to do it. Here's my son. And you, you give your son to the man. The man says, no, 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 no. I'm, well, I'm glad that you want to do this, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it for you. you got to do it. you got to do it. So he gives you a pair of clippers. says, they fry faster when there's no hair on them. So they turn on the electricity, and you start shaving your son's head. He says, Daddy, why are you doing this? starts shaving his head. He says, Daddy, I like the way I look. I look really handsome. 11.55. He says, at 12 o'clock, someone's going to sit in that chair, and someone's going to turn on, pull that switch, and the person in that chair is going to get electrocuted. 11.58. You sit your son in that chair. And he's like, Daddy, this chair is really cold. It's really weird. It's really interesting. What are these things? And you start strapping your son into that chair. And then the man walks out of the room. It's 11.59. Strikes 12 o'clock. The man says, all right, here's your instructions. By this time, the boy knows what you're going to do to him. And he began shouting out to you, Dad! Mom! Why? Why have you forsaken me? And as you turn your face away, you pull the switch and hear the scream of your son as it fries him in a matter of seconds. He cries out, No, Daddy, no. No, Mommy, no. And as the crying stops, You look at his lifeless body, and you fall over him, and you begin to weep, and weep, and weep. And I stand up from my seat, say, thanks, man, and I walk out. Tomorrow, you're hanging out at Starbucks. You haven't slept a second, (coughs) crying over your son. Drinking coffee, hands buried in your face, and a, a friend of mine and I walk into Starbucks, and you see us. I don't see you, but I sit down within earshot, and my friend says, "Dude, dude, dude, how'd you do it? Like he should. Like when I saw your name calling me, I was like, dude, he should have been dead. How'd he do? How? What'd you do?" I said, "Well, I mean, yeah." grand theft auto, robbed thousands of banks, killed a million people, but the judge looked at my record and he said, you know what? Yeah, DL, we um, see that you've been on eight mission trips, see that you've been, been a pastor for, for a few years, saw that you were, you are you know, you're good to people at the homeless shelter, shared the gospel with a few people. He said, yeah. Um, and, and when he saw that, he said, that's, that's good enough for you to go. As you hear that, as you sit At Starbucks, how infuriated are you and how your blood boils when you hear that because you know the truth that the only reason that I'm sitting in that Starbucks is because your son was slaughtered for my sake. Do you understand then what it is? When Jesus says, don't rejoice in all the things you do for me, but rejoice in what I have done for you. Don't look for joy in what you do for me. All of those things cannot atone for all of your shameful, deceitful, impure acts. In fact, when you come before me, this is what you're bringing, all your shame, all your deceit, all of your impurities, saying, Jesus, look what I give to you. Accept me into glory. And he says, I never knew you. Why would we think that our good works, that our deeds could outweigh all of that and gain us acceptance into heaven? Instead, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. That's what Jesus is saying. Only that. Only that is a foundation sure enough to satisfy your joys yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Every other joy in this life is here today and gone tomorrow. But this joy gets better and better and better until you see Jesus face to face in glory, in the home in which your the, the, the book is unfolded and your name is found because you put your trust in him. That's our only hope. That's our only boast in life. The woman on her deathbed finds her greatest hope, not in all the things she's done for Jesus, but in what Jesus has done for her. The quadriplegic on his wheelchair who cannot do anything rejoices not in all the grand things he's going to do and all the mission lands he's going to conquer for the gospel, but he finds his acceptance and his hope in what Jesus has done for him. The thief on the cross rejoices not in all of the grand deeds he did for Jesus, but in what Jesus has done for him because it's the surest and the only confident hope that we have for joy in this life as well as in the life to come. Friends, we need a hope for joy that is far deeper than what we can do for Jesus. Do you see the poverty and the paucity of all of the things that we do for Jesus insufficient when we compare it to the grandeur and the glory and the majesty of our God? That's why Jesus says, hey, no, 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 no! don't rejoice in these things. Rejoice in me. Rejoice in what I've done. Let your only boast be Christ. See, when I went then to preach at the second retreat that I was invited to, it was a year after, 23 years old, a year wiser, a year smarter, a year more sober. So a friend in New Jersey. He asked me to come and preach at his retreat. And a, a bunch of our college friends were going to serve on the praise team and as counselors. So I said, yeah, I'll go. Another winter retreat, got to that retreat site, and it was snowing. And as I got there with the pastor and our friends, and then the guests, the students started coming in, I, I looked at these people, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And people from Jersey are not like people back home. Like, these guys are thugged out. I was like, holy cow. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, God, I want to get in my car and drive back down to Virginia. These people are not Northern Virginia folks. They were hard. They were mean. They were like thugged out and looking like me, like, who is this guy? I came to speak the word of God to us. And and I remember being like, holy cow, this is like, this is last year all over again. And so a couple hours before the first uh, worship service, I was just walking around. I was like, God, I need I need help. Like, I am, I'm in big trouble. And as the snow was falling and I just looked out at the, at the trees, I was like, man, God, I feel so tiny compared to these people from New Jersey. And I, I feel so small compared to you and, and who you are. Lord, what could I possibly do? And, and I started thinking about that. I, I started to sing the words of this song. Um, Lord, it was you who created the heavens that were depositing snow all over that retreat center. Lord, it was you who put the stars in their place. Lord, it's your voice that commands the morning, and even oceans and their waves will bow at your feet. And then this was what I said. I said, but, but Lord, who am I compared to your glory? Lord, who am I compared to your majesty? God, I'm nothing. I'm no one. And then the the next line of that song just came, filling my heart with a hope and with a confidence in Christ and a joy that I could never have manufactured, said, I am your beloved, your creation, and you love me as I am. You have called me chosen for your kingdom, unashamed to call me your own. And I realized that all of my hope and all of my confidence were being placed in the wrong place. And God was gently bringing me back to this place where he said, it's not what you do for me that causes you to be my beloved. It's what I have done for you that causes you to be my beloved. No matter how you do at this retreat, no matter how well you do, how poorly you do, how many people come to know me, how many people don't, how many times the demons flee, many times the demons stay, no matter Satan falls or Satan doesn't fall, no matter what happens, I will love you. And I will love you, and I will love you, and I will never stop loving you. And I realized that the place I was looking to to find my joy was in what I was doing for God and not in what He had done for me. And as so I begin to realize, wow, most of the things that I look to for joy are here today and gone tomorrow because that's what matters so much to me. Jesus says, here's a joy that will not leave you. Let this be the most important thing to you, the gospel, the good news that it's not about you, but it's about me, it's about Jesus. Let that be the most important thing in your life because it's the only joy in this life that gets sweeter and sweeter and better and better. When we have that kind of joy, guys, we have that kind of joy that he loves me no matter what, then we can hear him say the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few, and we can go forth and say, man, I want to fight and I want to labor. And whether they reject me, hey, they're rejecting God. They listen to me, they're listening to God. I can fight and I can give my everything in order that their names can be written in the book of life as well. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much money I got. It doesn't matter how many gifts I've got. It doesn't matter how many places I've done things for the work of God. How many times you've done your quiet time. How many times you've, you, you've been promoted in your workplace. What good is it if you gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? It's not about what we do for Him. It's about what He's done for us. And that's where joy lies. Find it in that. Rest in that. Bathe in that. Soak in that. And then take that into the world. Let's pray together. Let's pray just uh, responding to the Word of God. Where are you looking to for joy in your life this morning, brothers and sisters? Because everything that we look to in life apart from the finished work of Christ will be a fleeting kind of joy, a fleeting happiness. Let's pray. Lord, help me to find my joy in you. Help me to find my identity in you. And I want to give this invitation for anyone who has not put their trust in Jesus. If you were to stand before God in heaven and he said, why should I let you in? And you wouldn't have a credible answer to give to him. I want to give an invitation in about half a minute for anyone who wants to put their trust in Jesus. I don't know today if there's anyone like that in here, but maybe there is. In about half a minute, I want to give you an invitation. I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand so we can pray together. I'm not going to make you stand up or do anything or call you out. I'm not going to do anything like that. I just want to make an invitation for you so that you can put your trust in Christ. as As we do this, let's pray responding to the word of God. Sorry, Lord, for making it about me and what I do, losing sight on you and what you've done. Lord, cleanse me, change me, mold me, make me. Let's pray together for a minute or so. I'm going to offer this invitation in just half a minute for us. Let's pray. As we continue to pray with our eyes closed. I offer this invitation and hey, listen, if no one raises their hand, I, that's cool. I'm not going to make something up and lie and say, okay, I see you. That's not what we do. And I'm offering this invitation because I know that in groups this size, there are oftentimes people who come in and don't go to church or haven't been in a while or don't know the good news. So this invitation is for anyone who doesn't know for sure, yeah, that my hope is going to be with Jesus, I'm going to be in heaven after I die. I know death is coming. That's predictable. But Where I'm going to be that, I'm not sure of. Does anyone like that just want to put your trust in Jesus today to say, Lord, I need you to cleanse me from my impurity, my shamefulness, my deceitfulness. I want to put my trust in you today. Is anybody like that today with our eyes closed? If that's you, just raise your hand from where you are. I'm not gonna call you out or make you come up here or anything like that. But if, if that's you, yeah, just I, I need Jesus in my life. Okay, thank you. In the back, we see you. Okay, thank you. Put your hand up. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Yeah. Is anyone else? I yeah, I want to put my trust in the Lord. I need Jesus in my life. Right now, if I were to stand before God, I'd have nothing to offer but to say, God, I hope I, I did more good than I did bad for you. at least one person in here like that. I'm going to um, just pray for us and I'm going to invite whomever that is you know, to come either talk to me or talk to somebody afterwards who you know is walking with Jesus. Um, but let's pray together. I just want to offer this prayer to the Lord. Um, and for the people in here who are making this prayer their own, I want to trust Christ today. Just invite you to pray this prayer in your own heart as I pray it aloud. Father in heaven, thank you that you have loved me from eternity past. That nothing that I've done can make you love me any more than you have already loved me. And nothing I do will cause you to love me any less. You've demonstrated your love for me not only through answered prayer and circumstances in life, but once and for all you showed that by giving your one and only son to die on a cross for my sins that I might have life. Thank you that you did that. I believe that I'm a sinner. and I believe Jesus died in my stead so that I could have the blessings that Jesus alone deserve. I trust you and I follow you now as my master and as my Lord. Change me and help me to be the person you want me to be. So, Lord, as we pray for that, not only for the people who are praying that maybe for the first time or first time really meaning it, but for the sake of others who need to be reminded of the gospel, Lord, we ask that you would make the beauty of Christ ever more sweet to us today. We pray for those who have already put their trust in you, whose names are written in heaven. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear the call of God. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field, as we offer that to you, Lord, would you even send us out for your glory so that others might find their deepest hope in you. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray.